Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with the ASHP section of Community Pharmacy Practitioners and the ASHP section of Specialty Pharmacy Practitioners. My name is Ashley Sorvik, Director of Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Services at Advocate Aurora Health. And today we'll be chatting with Abby Blevins, Pharmacy Specialist at Allied Health Solutions, an affiliate of WVU Medicine, Denise Scarpelli, Executive Director of Ambulatory Pharmacy and Business Development at the University of Chicago, and Sarah Steven, Pharmacist at Mayo Clinic Specialty Pharmacy. We will be discussing multi-state licensure and compliance best practices for the pharmacy and pharmacy workforce today. Thank you all for joining us. First question, can you all please introduce yourselves, your role, and provide some background on your health system's multi-state licensure? My name is Abby Blevins, and I'm a pharmacy specialist with Allied Health Solutions, an affiliate of WVU Medicine. I am a primary preceptor for our student program on site. I also am the RPD for our PGY-1 community-based residency program with a focus in specialty pharmacy. And I also have a patient management load that I help clinically manage. At our pharmacy, we currently have six state licenses, and we're evaluating obtaining three additional states as well. I'm Denise Carpelli, Executive Director of Ambulatory Pharmacy at University of Chicago. I own the licensing requirements for all our pharmacies. So that's a retail pharmacy that also does mail order, a specialty pharmacy. We have a pharmacy in our emergency department and all our infusion centers. We are licensed in 20 states. So I maintain the licensure in those states. Also, I maintain that all our technicians with our accreditations are certified and our pharmacists are board certified. So we have mechanisms that we put in place to track all of this so that we are compliant from a state level, but also from an accrediting body level. I am Sarah Steven, and I'm one of the pharmacists with the Mayo Clinic Specialty Pharmacy, and we service all 50 states, so we hold licenses there. I currently serve as the pharmacist in charge for six of those states, and I am licensed in a total of 18 to serve as the backup pharmacist in charge for the other states that require licensure. Thank you all for that background. Recognizing how many states you're working with, what types of resources does your organization utilize for obtaining and maintaining each state and pharmacy workforce license? Do you use any third-party vendors or resources that support your multi-state licensing efforts, such as keeping track of renewal dates, changes in state licensures, or CE requirements? So at University of Chicago, we have a couple different resources that we use to help us maintain all our licenses and renewals. We use License Logic. It's a company that does all our renewals. It keeps track of each of our individual pharmacies, their particular licenses, and when they expire and they do all the applications for us and the renewal applications. We also use LicenLogic. They provide a quarterly report of all state and federal law changes. So it's a form that we print off from their site, and it actually references the law or the FDA or DEA changes. And then we tie that back into our pharmacies to see if that law change in those particular states impact our pharmacy. About a year ago, we started to use license track, and we really did this, and it tracks all our licenses for our employees. We knew with some of our accrediting bodies, we need to make sure that we're verifying yearly 
that their licenses are active and keep track of it. So all our pharmacists and technicians, their licenses are loaded into license track. It also keeps if they're licensed in other states besides Illinois, our primary state. It also takes in account their certifications and also from a technicians like PTCB and the board certifications. And then every month it takes the list of all our licenses and balances against those states or certification bodies. And then if anyone's expiring, it tells us a month before so that we can stay on top of it. As our programs continue to grow, when we have about 200 employees that we're maintaining just on the ambulatory site, we needed to have a way that it's an automated system because we used to track this manually with spreadsheets. So it's helped a lot with keeping compliant. And then the other thing we use that we've always used since the beginning are a lot of the state newsletters that they produce. So they come out quarterly. We use the NABP website to subscribe to all the states that were licensed in its newsletter. And then we receive those emails. And then those come to myself and I review them to see if any of the law changes in each state impact our business so that we can change workflow or operations to be compliant with those states. But those are the top things that we're using right now to keep track of all our state licensing, technician, pharmacists, and certifications. With the Mayo Clinic, we actually have a separate department, a legal and compliance department that helps manage all of the state licensures for the pharmacy, but also helps keep us apprised of notices of changes to laws for those of us that are individually licensed in the states. But otherwise, we're personally responsible for maintaining our own licenses. So use of NABP is very helpful to keep track of the CE requirements, renewal dates, things of that nature. Here at Allied Health Solutions, our human resources department utilizes a third-party vendor EverCheck that automatically monitors all state licenses and and other licensure types. We program those into that third-party vendor, and then similar to what Ashley was saying, they send us updates about a month before our licenses are expiring us to remind us of that. In addition to being responsible for our own licensures independently as technicians and pharmacists, our Operations manager manually tracks the licenses within a department using an Excel spreadsheet just as an added check. She sorts these newest to oldest and just kind of serves as a second double check to that third-party vendor to remind everybody to keep up to date on their licenses and renew those when they're due. Great. Thank you, everyone, for providing such great tips and staying organized in this space. Can you address how you determine and maintain compliance with state-controlled substance registrations? So my answer to this question is fairly similar to the question previously. Fortunately, at Mayo Clinic, we have this legal and compliance department that keeps up with any changes here and then advises us of any significance in changes to the way we have to practice or process prescriptions. In our role here at Allied Health Solutions with WVU Medicine, we don't currently manage a lot of controlled substances that need shipped outside of the state. But if we were to ship any controlled substance outside of the state, we do follow the non-residential licensure registration requirements for that state. And at University of Chicago, we actually use both license track and license logic to keep track of all our controlled substance licenses that we have. Even though we're licensed in 20 states, some states we have decided not to get a controlled substance license, so we don't ship controlled substances to there. Our staff have a list of what they can ship per state. The other thing is around like DEA registration, we use license logic to help us with that as well. 
since we do have a quite number of pharmacies, they let us know when the renewal period is and they'll submit the renewal for us. Great. Thank you all again. How are state licensure nuances kept track of, such as when gabapentin is controlled in one state but not another, and how do you meet shipping standards for a state in which the medication might be delivered? At WVU Medicine Allied Health Solutions, like I said in the previous question, we don't do a whole lot of controlled substance managing as far as being shipped to other states or delivered to outside of the state. But if we do have a controlled prescription that needs shipped or delivered out of the state, the PIC that's registered in that state would be consulted to see if the receiving state had any requirements or restrictions for delivery or controlled substances. And that would be up to the responsibility of the pharmacist that is designated to those states. So similar to my colleagues here, we have multiple pharmacists licensed in each state. So usually we have two or three as backup. And so it would be the responsibility of those pharmacists to know the laws within those states. At University of Chicago, first we make sure we're tracking all the state law changes and look at different nuances. But some of the things that we've done, we were an EPIC system. So we've built certain things in EPIC around each state, especially when it comes to like the comment about gabapentin. I know like Wisconsin requires reporting on that. So a lot of just building the like the PMP report that we're submitting every day for that state. I think the one big challenge is that we noticed around meeting shipping requirements for each state is really around the counseling laws. So there's certain states that require you to use a certain flyer to put in each package that you're shipping to their state around counseling. So we have those printed out at our shipping stations. We're working on getting those connected into Epic. So based on where that individual lives, that we know that that's a requirement. Some states require that there is counseling before we ship out, and you can't just have that document. So our pharmacists are trained that they know if they're shipping to a state that requires counseling immediately. We're doing that and documenting that in EPIC. But we look at every single state's non-resident, or I guess some of them are maybe labeled mail-order requirements. And we're making sure that we're meeting those. But that's why it's so important for us to look at the state law changes to make sure that if there's a change that impacts like non-resident pharmacies or mail order pharmacies that we're implementing those changes. But the biggest thing is really around counseling that we've identified and we have different requirements that we have set up. And also at the shipping station, we have certain things as like a second check to know little nuances about each state. So as they're shipping things out of state, making sure that we're meeting those requirements, because I know if you violate one of the laws in one state, they can do a sister law action. So that means that every state that you're licensed in can fine you for the same thing, even though it didn't impact that state. So we regulate it very closely because we know it could jeopardize all our licenses. All right. We currently use a pharmacy dispensing system, which allows us to have these additional pop-up warnings that we've built in for certain states, like for example, Texas or Arizona, that have requirements for certain system checks or some things that may be controlled in one state. So these pop-ups help us keep track of documentation in our system, making sure that we're meeting compliance in each of those states. Otherwise, general policy is just always to check those PMPs for any controlled substance, but we don't do a whole lot of those coming out of the specialty pharmacy. Thank you again. It's so interesting to hear about how you approach keeping up with the state-by-state differences. I want to shift the conversation a little bit to pharmacy workforce. So does your institution elect one pharmacist and pharmacy technician staff member to hold multiple state licenses, or do you decide to split that between pharmacy staff members? 
Well, at University of Chicago, we really look at what that state requires. Most of the responsibility falls on the pharmacist in charge of the pick. Some states doesn't require anyone else to be licensed in those states, so those are easy to get licensed in. A lot of state requirements require the pharmacist in charge to be also licensed in that state. So usually the person that's elected is the pharmacist in charge, and we just make that kind of standard across the board. I know some states require you could just have one of your pharmacists licensed there, but we just thought it was easier to make the pharmacist in charge. And like, for example, in Nevada, they require every single one of your pharmacists to be licensed in that state. So we just made the business decision that it was too difficult to have every single pharmacist licensed in the state of Nevada. And we decided to put our license on hold. So again, keeping track of any nuances around licensure for that state. But the one thing we use license logic to help us do our all applications and they have a list of all the requirements per state. So that's how we make that decision. And then we have multiple pharmacies. So each pick has to be licensed in that state if they have that license for that state, if it's requiring the pick. But there are about 15 to 16 states that don't have any licensing requirements for pharmacists or technicians for that particular state. So at Mayo Clinic, we have generally the burden of maintaining these multiple state licenses is the goal is to share it among the different managers. So the mail order pharmacy manager, specialty pharmacy manager, the production area manager would all share the responsibility of holding multi-state licenses to serve as the pharmacist in charge. But we also have several staff pharmacists that have backups to those in the event that someone would be on leave and need someone else to step in and serve as the pick, just like I am doing for six states right now. Here at Allied, we have multiple pharmacists licensed in each state so that there's a backup pharmacist if someone were to leave the institution. So we have pharmacists licensed in each state that our pharmacy holds a license in. And we share the burden among pharmacists, and that kind of comes up based on a volunteer slash voluntold opportunity. So mostly just where pharmacists are volunteering to get additional licensure, and we kind of all share multiple licensures in the different states that we serve currently. Thanks again. It sounds like you have just so many wonderfully skilled and flexible team members that help you make your roles and teams successful. We touched on CE tracking a little bit earlier, but can each of you describe a methodology in which the multi-state licensed pharmacist or pharmacy technician meets and keeps track of all the CE required? Certainly. So as someone who holds 18 state licenses, I heavily rely on NABP and their CE requirement tracker to help me keep in line with everything. Every month I check on my licenses which ones will be upcoming for expiration or review the requirements, see where I'm at in completing those, and then sign up for additional CE as may be needed as the month goes along. Similar here at Allied, we rely on the pharmacists licensed in those states to meet their CE guidelines. I currently hold only two states, but I too rely heavily on the NABP and what I have and what I still need. I also keep my own personal Excel spreadsheet that I've lined out what requirements I have for each of those states and the differences between the two states as far as specific CE required for those. And then I know when they expire on that Excel sheet as well. And so just making sure that I personally keep up with my own requirements as far as like specific CEs for the different 
different states and, and meeting the deadlines for when those licenses expire as well. At University of Chicago, we use similar things. So all our pharmacists and technicians keep track of on the NABP website or their CE tracker, but also license track keeps track of when our licenses are going to expire, our certifications, our board certification. So we usually keep track of that with our pharmacists and technicians. So they know that, you know, if it's a PTCB, those technicians know that they have this month to get it in and it's going to expire at the end of the month. So we send them reminders and they know the requirements for each state. And some of them is they renew either their certification. We ask for copies of what they submitted for those particular certifications so that we know that it got renewed. But license track really helps us keep track of who's coming up for their renewal date so that we can remind them that they need to get all their CE requirements done so they can submit for renewal. Thank you for all of that insight again. Recognizing that our pharmacy workforce and our operations have shifted over the course of the last few years, can you tell me, during the COVID-19 pandemic, if you moved a remote staff model, how did you work with state regulations that require on-site pharmacists or on-site PICs? And is this a model you intend to continue? Here at Allied, our managers worked with our legal counsel to develop a remote work policy and procedure that was addressed with the remote workers that could adequately complete their job duties at home. Those that could not complete their job duties at home remained on site, such as our operations staff completing fulfillment of the medications. And then if anything that we couldn't do within the state regulations, we had our on-site staff complete during those times of COVID when remote work was more popular. Yeah, University of Chicago, we had similar challenges. So we looked at what the state allowed. In the state of Illinois, our pharmacists are allowed to work remotely, if anything that's touching, like the operating system. But our technicians are not allowed to work remotely if it has anything to either data entry, adjudication. So some of our technicians that worked remote really just worked around car authorizations and working on some of those tasks that didn't involve touching the operating system, which was a challenge. So Again, we have some individuals on site to do some of those functions. Obviously, the dispensing team had to stay on site. There was not a way to have them go remote. But our state did have some emergency authorization to override the impact so more staff can be remote. But our pharmacists are allowed to do that in the state of Illinois. And so most of our pharmacists were the ones that went home and worked remotely. Anyone that was a pharmacist in charge or pick duties was required to be on site because a lot of that involved with day-to-day operations that we had to be on site to maintain. I don't have a whole lot to add here. As far as remote work, we are not working remotely. When we did, it was a very, very temporary situation and our legal and compliance team was able to help kind of work around that with different states and their requirements. But after only a few brief weeks, we returned to the office. So we're not currently practicing any remote work. Thank you again for your feedback on how you've been navigating the changes that the pandemic brought. We're on our last topic for today, and so very popular question. For any hospital or health system pharmacy that is looking to expand their pharmacy services to multiple states, what words of wisdom do you have? So words of wisdom, it takes a lot of work to do this. The more that you can try to have automation to help you with it, so different systems that track it, I highly recommend that. It 
becomes very task-orientated. A lot of us had reminders on our calendars to check things, but as your team continues to grow and around a lot of the accrediting bodies, such as UREC and ACHC, there's a huge focus on maintaining licensure, not only for your individual pharmacies, but your staff and making sure that they're all compliant. So it becomes a daunting task. The other thing too is as you continue to get additional licenses in additional states, it becomes also a challenge to how to operationalize that because you not only have to stay compliant with your own state laws, you have to be compliant with the state laws for the states that you're licensed in. And I'm actually on the Board of Pharmacy in Illinois, and I see a lot of cases where people are licensed in multiple states and think they only have to be compliant to their own state and not realize they need to be compliant to the other states. It does take a lot of work to do this and a lot of education with your staff and a lot of thinking. And sometimes if it's not a law in your state, but maybe another state, you just take the stricter stance just so that you stay compliant so you don't have any hiccups. And it's really another thing that we do too is constant reminder of our staff of the states that we're licensed in, that we're not allowed to ship to states that we're not in, and really understanding the rules and the laws of those individual states because you can jeopardize your whole entire program if you're not really managing it well. I highly recommend as you continue to get licensed in states and expand your staff to look at any company that can help you track this and make it more automated for you because it almost becomes a full-time job as you continue to grow. The more that you can stay compliant, the better that you're protecting your program and everyone's licenses that are involved with your programs. And I'd like to recommend that if you are pursuing multi-state licensure, remember that costs are not insignificant to obtain and maintain licenses. You may need to incentivize staff to participate to obtain these licenses, sit for the exams, and it would be most beneficial to spread the responsibility among staff and have multiple backups to your PIC licensure in the event that someone would to leave the staff. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. Just thinking about being proactively organized and how you're going to manage all these licenses and the requirements for those. And like Denise said, considering a a third-party vendor, so thinking about who can help maintain that organization and serve as a reminder to pharmacists and the pharmacies of when those licensures are expiring. And then just to highlight again what Sarah said, you know, thinking about the business side of it, does it make sense for the business? Is there a sustained volume that can contribute to offset the cost of the licensures? What kind of requirements would be required for that different state? Could the pharmacy feasibly and safely respond to those requirements and service patients in a safe manner while following those? And ultimately, you know, is it just a good business decision as well as clinical decision for the company? Thank you so much for all those wonderful words of wisdom. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. I really want to thank Abby, Denise, and Sarah for joining us to discuss the multi-state licensure best practices. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's online resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, Clinical Pharmacy Resources, and more. Thanks again for joining this episode of Hot Topics in Pharmacy, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the ASHP Official Podcast for more great content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official. 
the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.